Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Well, hey, good morning, Rescue Church. I want to say welcome to each and every one of you in every single one of our campuses and to those of you that are watching online this morning. It's great to have you with us as we kick off a brand new series this weekend. I want to start by making a statement and see if you agree with this or not. It really doesn't matter if you agree because it's true what I'm getting ready to say. Here's, here's the thought. When we have something that is of incredible value, we protect that item or that object with boundaries. Does that make sense? Do you agree with that? I'll give you some examples. Like, think about a museum. Think about a precious artifact from history or a document or a painting hanging on a wall. When we have something that is so priceless, do we not protect that object with boundaries? So, like in a museum, it could look like those little rope things that they put to keep people away so you can't put your grubby little fingers on the painting. Or, or it could be that case of glass that sits over that very historic document and they regulate the atmosphere inside of that glass and they have fire protection systems and they put boundaries around this stuff to protect it because it's valuable. I'll give you another example. We do this with our children, do we not? And the boundaries look a lot like rules that parents put in the lives of their kids because they are of incredible value to us. They, they are irreplaceable. They're priceless. I've thought about replacing my kids a few times, but the truth is they're priceless. And so we set boundaries around their life, and it often looks like the word no. Like I just had this conversation this week with my children, reminding them that because they are so valuable and because their parents love them, there will be times that we are the uncool people that put boundaries around their life. And one of the most powerful words that sets a boundary in our life is the word no. No, you're not going there. No, you're not hanging out with this group of people. No, you're not riding your little bicycle out into the street. You're two years old. No, we protect you with these boundaries because we love you, because you're valuable to us. What about our marriages? I would contend that we're living in a day and age in which marriage, the biblical institution of marriage, is under attack in our culture. And we see all around us the devastating effects of the crumbling of the family unit. It's just being destroyed from the outside in, from the inside out. And the effects are all over in our culture as we're seeing the brokenness that flows out of the breakdown of the family unit. And what I would contend is that marriage is priceless. It is so valuable to us that we need to build protective walls around our marriages. And so guess what? We're starting a new series today called Build the Wall. And it has nothing to do with statements you might have heard in political commentary in recent months and years or whatever. This is about protecting marriages from adultery and from so much more. We're going to spend a few weeks as a church talking about how can we put these protective walls around this priceless covenant of marriage to protect this precious thing that God has given to us. 
Now, i got to just give a couple statements of disclaimer, a few warning statements, if you will, before we get going, and then we're going to jump into the first message in this series, okay? Four statements I want to make real quick to you. First of all, you need to know this. This is going to be some heavy subject matter that we cover in this series. And I want you to know that I understand this and that I don't take it lightly. And that while I might try to find some ways to bring some levity and some humor along the way, the big picture, this is not a humorous conversation. And what I know is that for many, many people in our church, the stuff we're going to talk about over the next few weeks very much has the potential to hit a nerve in your heart because of real pain that is there in your past because of sin, whether it was your own sin against a husband or a wife, or whether it was against your spouse's sin or someone else's sin towards you. And, and, and so when we start talking about some of this, it might hit that nerve of pain or guilt or shame or regret. And I just want you to know, I understand that's there, and I'm going to preach as gently as I can, but there's some stuff we just got to talk about that God has put in my heart. So just be advised that that's, that's there, okay? Secondly, I would want to say this. I would want to say that this would be a really good series to utilize our Rescue Kids ministry and our nursery ministry. Uh, what I'm saying, to be blunt, is if you choose to keep your young children in this sermon in the, over the next few weeks, you are very likely going to have some awkward questions to answer at lunch when church is done. When your kids say, hey, Dad, what did Pastor John mean when he said? And then you get to talk to him about it, okay? So I'm just, be warned, all right? We're going to talk about some stuff that you may not want your young children hearing about. But what about your teenagers? What about your 6th, 7th, 8th graders? I'm telling you, Young people, listen in, lean in, because parents, unless you're completely unaware, they're already hearing about this stuff. Everywhere they turn in our culture, at their school, in their curriculums, on social media, in the movies they watch, in the music they listen to. So I'm quite okay with the teenagers being in the room. Teenagers, it's about to get real in church, okay? So I'm just being honest with you, and I want you to know that. I also just want to let it be known that I am probably going to offend many people in our culture with the stuff I'm going to share in this series. Because our culture has drifted so far and so fast from what God has defined as marriage and sexual purity and the family. And, and so quite likely the things I'm going to say are going to challenge and, and quite frankly offend some people. And I want you to know, I get it, I don't take it lightly, but I'm going to preach God's truth. One thing I say often to the guys I work with when they're hammering me with questions is, guys, I don't write it, I just report it. And so we're going to report it and to let the chips fall where they may. But I'm just letting you know, like, just be warned, and I understand that this is going to, this is going to rock some boats, okay? I want you to know that. And then finally, I want you to know this, that this series is not just for married people. Anytime I speak to the subject of marriage, I know that in, immediately there's some people starting to check out. Teenagers, people who are no longer married, people who are divorced, their spouse passed away, and they go, well, this is for married people, it's not for me. And I'm here to tell you, please hear me, there is something in every single one of these messages that is for you. And I think that's true anytime the Word of God is opened and declared don't check out because you go, that's for married people. We're going to learn today that this is for everybody. This idea of protecting the walls around marriage is for people who are married and for people who are not married. 
And, and that'll make more sense as we start teaching our way through this in the weeks ahead. But don't check out. I promise you, God has something he wants to speak into your life if you lean in and listen as we, as we begin this series today. So here's my goal for our message today. Having gotten those disclaimers out of the way, let me tell you where I want to go in our time together. I really want to talk about adultery, and we're going to. We're going to get to that. But before we can really even open the Bible to that subject, we need to take a step further back, and we need to define and answer the question, what is marriage? That's what I'm titling my talk today, and simply we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible say about marriage? Because what I want to suggest is that we live in a culture that is completely confused about all kinds of things, and especially when it comes to the subject of marriage. I've heard pastors and Christians talk about how, you know, our culture, there's this attempt right now to redefine marriage. I want to take it a step farther than that. And I want to say, we're not simply trying to redefine marriage. Our culture is trying to completely throw off any definition of marriage. And in this void of a defined answer to what is marriage, we're seeing all kinds of insanity filling that void under the cries of tolerance and diversity. We're seeing just absolute perversion and abomination and insanity being inserted into this place that was once reserved for holy matrimony. And the culture has no clue what marriage is. But I got some really good news for you. God does have a clue on what marriage is, and we're going to define it today. We're going to open God's word to this subject. Say, what is marriage according to the word of God? By the way, I'll share a quick story. The other day I was surfing through Facebook. This was probably several months ago, and I saw a pastor friend of mine had shared a news story talking about, this is just an example of how crazy our culture has gotten, talking about a new trend now is where people, largely more females than men, are beginning to, are you ready for this? Marry themselves. They even have a word for it. It's called sologamy, sologamy. Like I'm, and they go through the whole deal. They go through pre-marriage counseling with themselves. They go through a ceremony, pictures. It's ridiculous. And there's no end to the insanity when we throw off God's definition of what is marriage the world has all kinds of confusion and lack of healthy answers, and it's getting crazy. But God has not changed his mind on what marriage is, so we're going to just define that in our time together today. If you've got your handouts, get them out, get a pen, get ready to write, because I've got several things that I want to point you to that answer the question, what does the Bible say about marriage? What is marriage? And this isn't even an exhaustive list from Scripture. This is just getting started. The Bible says more about marriage than what I can share with us in a 30 or 40 or 70 minute message, however long this ends up being, okay? This is just to get us started, but it's a really good start. So get ready to write. Here's the first thing that I want to point out from the Word of God is simply this, that marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Does that come as a shock to you? Marriage was not invented by the United States Supreme Court. It is not theirs to define. Marriage was not invented, this may rock some of your world, by the voting majority of the American public through our democratic system of voting and elections. Did you realize it does not matter what a state can 
pass on a, a ballot initiative. They don't get the right to define marriage because it wasn't theirs to begin with. Marriage didn't come from the state. Marriage didn't come from the courts. Marriage didn't come from pop culture and Hollywood. None of those places or people invented marriage. God did. All the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and we won't read this passage of Scripture, but you don't even get into the, through the second chapter of Genesis. And Genesis 2.18 tells us this, that of all God's creation, of everything that he said was good, he looks at Adam, who has no helper. Every other animal that was created had a mate, and, and Adam had no one. And God looked at this man who was alone, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper that's suitable for him. And so he puts Adam into a deep sleep. He takes one of his ribs. He forms from that rib and from the earth this beautiful gift called Eve. And Genesis 2, we have the first wedding. The Bible begins with a wedding of Adam and Eve. And then we'll read one of those verses here in just a moment. But all I want you to understand is this. When we talk about marriage, God is the one who gets to define what marriage is because he created it. Okay, It's God's idea. He made it. It's his. Secondly, this is really important. We're going to get into some theological stuff here. Secondly, marriage is a covenant... That's a big word. You can write that down. Marriage is a covenant, and it's sealed by consummation. And and that's a deep subject to get into, this whole idea of a covenant. Like, God does not take covenants lightly. Covenants are a very big deal to the Lord. I just want to show you in Scripture, if you say, John, where, where do we see that the Bible calls marriage a covenant? Great question. Look at this. Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. This is God speaking through his prophet to the people of Israel who had abandoned the Lord. And part of what they've done is they've been unfaithful to their spouses. And so here's what God has to say to them through his prophet. He says, the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage, what church? Covenant. Marriage, according to God, is a covenant. It's a holy promise. And by the way, it's not just a two-way covenant, it's a three-way covenant. Marriage is a three-way deal, according to God. It's not just a husband and wife, it's a husband and wife and the God who created them and created marriage. I'm telling you, the only real successful, fruitful way to do marriage is to be founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of your marriage. Because it's a covenant. It's a holy covenant. As opposed to what our culture has come to say that it's just a contract. You can write that word down on your notes if you want. Our culture treats marriage no different than a cell phone contract. That we agree to the terms, we sign some papers, we enter into it. But at any point, I'm free to break the contract. It might cost me a little bit of money. We might both have to lawyer up. It might get a little ugly. But at the end of the day, it's not really a holy covenant. It's just a contract. The Bible calls it a covenant. And here's the amazing thing about marriage. Not only is it a holy covenant, it's sealed by this glorious thing called consummation. Genesis 2.24, this is the verse I said I was going to get to a minute ago when we talked about the first wedding in human history. God creates Eve for Adam, 
And he brings these two human beings together in marriage. And here's what he says. This is the definition of marriage, church. Genesis 2.24, God says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And all God's married people said, Amen. That is talking about the physical union of marriage where two individuals join together as one flesh. I'm going to make some of you church ladies squirm a little bit when I tell you this. And I hope not. I hope we don't have that element in our church of people that view sex as this icky, dirty, disgusting thing. Can I tell you that in God's perfect creation, sex was not just made for the sole purpose of procreation. Yes, that's one of the benefits of sex. It's where the gift of life is passed on to the next generation as a husband and wife create a new human life. But that is not the sole purpose of sex. God gave sex to this married union before kids were even in the picture. And he said it's good. See, God's getting a bad rap in our culture today, gang. People are treating God as if somehow he's prudish or anti-sex when the whole thing was his idea in the first place. Years ago in our church, we did a series called Let's Talk About Sex. And I would love to preach through that whole series right now, but we don't have enough time for that. But I'll summarize a little bit of a highlight from that series by telling you what I just said. God is not upset about the idea of married people having sex. The whole thing was his idea. The reason it's pleasurable is because he made it. He is not in heaven going, oh my goodness, what are they doing taking their clothes off together? He's doing what to her? The whole thing was his idea. You keep reading in scripture, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. God wasn't embarrassed about this. God's not some prude. Read the Song of Solomon. Oh my goodness. And don't try and dismiss it as some allegory about Christ's love for the church. It is a sex manual about a married husband and a married wife doing it all over the place because God's not ashamed or embarrassed about sex. He consummates the covenant of marriage with this physical union. That's what marriage is. And inside of that holy covenant, God says there's freedom and there's fidelity and there's no shame and you can celebrate it and it's holy. But you need to build a real protective wall around it because when we take it outside of that, It immediately becomes perverted and broken. And the seeds of death are all over in it. See, I want to compare those two words, covenant and consummation, to what our culture views as marriage, as it's contractual, it's just a contract, and it's a civil matter. Our culture wants to say it's just a civil matter. It's a matter of what the civil laws, the authority that has jurisdiction decides. If two consenting people who love one another want to get married, we'll call it marriage. It's not just a civil matter. It's not for the courts to decide. It's not for the voting public to decide. God has declared what marriage is. And he said in Genesis 2.24, marriage is one man leaving his father and mother and being united, cleaving to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And i got to tell you something about Genesis 2.24, church. Because you're going to hear it in our culture. We hear it all the time. People say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. That Jesus never mentioned it. I'm going to show you that's not true in just a moment. Genesis 2.24, 
You need to understand, God spoke those words. Moses recorded them. That Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Moses wrote them down. Jesus repeated the words in the New Testament. It's in Matthew and it's in Mark. Jesus quoted it. And then the Apostle Paul quoted it several times in the New Testament. And all I'm trying to say is this. Christians, hear me on this. If God spoke it, Moses wrote it down, Jesus quoted it, Paul quoted it, it's in there for a reason. It's probably a really important thing that we get our arms around this simple but profound definition of marriage. One man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. That's marriage. And it hasn't changed. And God's not swayed by what the United States Supreme Court may vote. God is not at all intimidated by who is in the White House and what letter comes after their name whether it's an R or D for Republican or Democrat, God has spoken to the issue of marriage. God is not swayed by how many parades we can throw around the community and around the world. God has defined marriage. It's his to define, not yours, not mine. Okay, let me keep working on offending more people here, okay, because I know this is so counterculture to what we believe, to what our culture would have us believe. Next thing, write this down. Marriage, according to the Bible, is between a man and a woman. You probably picked up on that already from the verses that we read. It's between a man and a woman. In the insanity of our culture, our culture would have us believe that God does not create males and females, that God creates androgynous human beings that get to decide how they want to live out their life, whether it be as a man or as a woman or as both or as jumping back and forth or all kinds of other definitions and cloudiness. And the Bible does not teach that. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.27, he created man. He created male and female. And to those of you that would say, well, I don't think Jesus... That's the Old Testament, John. That's not the loving, accepting, tolerant Jesus of the New Testament. Oh, really? When I hear somebody tell me that, I'm just telling you what I hear. There's kind of a filter that that language gets decoded. And what I really hear them saying when they say Jesus never addressed the subject of homosexuality, what I really hear being decoded into my brain is I don't really know what the Bible says because I've never really read it for myself. Let me tell you what Jesus said. This is not Old Testament angry God. And by the way, by the way, Christians, you need to understand something. The God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. Jesus stepped onto the scene, and he raised the spiritual bar. He did not do away with the law. He came onto the scene and took my punishment and your punishment for all the laws we've broken because we serve a holy God. And that has not changed We serve a holy God and a God that will judge sin and pour out his wrath on sinful mankind. The only difference of the New Testament is Jesus stepped into that place and he took our place. He took God's wrath for us. But it does not minimize the destructiveness of sin. And here's what Jesus said. This is what kind and gentle Jesus said in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. He was being questioned by the Pharisees about about marriage and divorce. And Jesus said this, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Jesus, you can't say that! 
What if he doesn't want to be a male? What if she doesn't want to be a female? Jesus didn't bat an eyelash. He's quoting Genesis 1.27. In the beginning, the Creator made the male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see that? Jesus just quoted. When he was asked about marriage, what did he do? He reached back to Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24, and he just put them together. In the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and he said, For this cause, Genesis 2.24, shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Jesus has not changed God's definition of marriage. It's one man and one woman. And I understand that flies in the face of political correctness. But church, we have a decision to make. Are we accepting God's definition of marriage or are we accepting man's? Be very careful how you answer that question. Be very careful how you answer that question. I want to say this also about marriage. If you want to write this down. Marriage is to be honored by everyone. So, all the single ladies, don't make me sing the song. All the single ladies, you ready for this? All the single guys in the house, you ready for this? This is for you. This is not just for married people. This is for everyone. I'm about to show you this. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by just married people. Is that what it says? Nope. Marriage should be honored by who, church? By all. That's, that's you, and that's me, and that's you, and that's you. Like, marriage should be honored by all, everyone. And the marriage bed kept pure. Hmm, there's something about this covenant marriage bed where the magic happens. There's something about this that needs to be kept pure. Maybe we should build some protective walls around that marriage bed. Hmm. Maybe we're going to talk about that in this series. The marriage bed should be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. John, I thought the whole New Testament was about God's grace. I thought we could kind of sin wherever we wanted and had no thoughts of... No, no, no. It still says in the New Testament, God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And we're going to get into more of that next week. We're going to look at what it looks like when when we step outside of God's will for sexual purity and the penalty that comes with that. I'm just going to say again, because I'm going to hold up Jesus as the hero of this message. The powerful message of the New Testament, the powerful message of the gospel, is that Jesus took all of my sexual impurity upon himself and he poured out his blood for it because of that and so many other sins, mine and yours included. So the point is, do not take this stuff lightly. So hey, single people, you also get to help honor and protect the marriage walls that are being built around other people's marriages. You do not have the right to scale those walls and to get into that married bed. You don't have the right to help dismantle those walls of protection that are going up around a married couple. It's holy inside of that, and it's not for you. It's for that man and that wife together with God inside of the protective custody of marriage. By the way, the the artwork that we have for this series is this prison wall. Like I told our creative team, I was like, you know, a lot of times when we talk about boundaries and like when we think marriages, we think these little 
cute white picket fences, you know, nice little yard with some flowers. And I'm like, look, a white picket fence is nice if you're trying to look cute. But notice, when we're trying to protect something of value, we don't put cute white picket fences around it. I want a wall of fortress. So I said, find a prison wall. Because that'll also help some people think that marriage is like a prison. And it's not really, but it kind of is, and we'll get into that, right? It's a covenant, and it's not to be broken. We're not trying to scale these walls and get out. We're trying to stay inside of this covenant of marriage and keep it safe. And it's to be honored by everybody. Now, I just want to say something as your pastor who loves you, and it's about to get real, okay? First of all, let me tell you what I'm getting ready to say, I'm not saying to non believers. I'm going to speak to you in just a moment. If you're listening to this message, if you're watching this message, if you're joining us here and, and you, you still don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what I want you to know is I don't expect you to think like Christians think about this stuff. I don't expect you to accept what a holy God has spoken because you don't have a relationship with that holy God yet. So I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to Christians who I see on your social media posts all kinds of sympathetic posts that basically tell me that you are no longer accepting God's definition of marriage. You're caving to the political pressure that continues to mount in our society to call marriage something other than what God has called it. And I want to say something to you. As your pastor who loves you, as a Christian who has been called by God to speak his truth, what I want to tell you is this. To whatever degree your view of marriage differs from what I just shared with you from the word of God, to that degree I want to tell you something you, sir, you, ma'am, need to repent. You heard me right. You need to repent before a holy God. Because what I want to tell you is, to whatever degree your view of marriage is different from God's, what I want to tell you is that you are wrong. You are in error, not God. Your mind needs to be renewed. Your thinking about what God has said needs to be renewed. He does not have to change his mind. He will not change his mind. He has not changed his mind. He has not redefined marriage. You are the one in error who needs to change, not God. And I hope there's some people of God out there saying amen right now because those amens are growing more and more silent in this culture because we're scared, because we're being pressured, because the media constantly tells us that we should embrace evil as good and reject good as evil. God has not changed his mind. So to whatever degree your view of marriage is out of line with what God has said in his word, I love you, you're wrong. And you need to get right with God. I'm talking to Christians. Because here's where it gets even more real. And this is where I want to say one more thing about marriage. Check this out. I'm going to read it because it's really wordy and I'm not even going to have you write it down. It's on your notes. And I just gave it all to you here, okay? Marriage is a foreshadowing of something much more significant than just a husband-wife relationship. Really? You mean there's more going on here than just this? Yes, check it out. Marriage is a portrait of Christ's love for the church and the coming day when we, those of us who are Christ's bride, the church, when we will be gathered with him for all eternity. 
And I'm not going to take the time to open the, the scriptures there. You can go look at it for yourself in Ephesians chapter 5, in Revelation chapter 19. What you'll find is that, remember I said a minute ago that Mar- the Bible begins with a wedding? It begins with the wedding of Adam, Adam and Eve? Genesis chapter 2, what I can also tell you is that at the end of Scripture, Revelation 19, the Bible ends with a wedding where human history finally culminates in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Look it up, Revelation 19. What's happening there? It is the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming for His church, His bride, us, those of us, who have put our faith and trust in Him as our Lord and Savior, and He is going to take His bride to be with Him for all eternity in heaven. Well, how do we become part of that bride? Don't lose me on this. Stay with me. How do I become a part of the bride of Christ, the church? Are you ready for this? It's through a covenant. It's through a covenant that was consummated by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when His blood was shed. See, again, you study covenants in the Bible and they were almost always sealed with some sort of blood. I don't want to get too graphic, but when a woman that has never been with a man comes together with that man, oftentimes there is blood. A covenant that is consummated in blood. And in order to be a part of the bride of Christ, we come into it through the covenant of salvation. Where through faith, we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We repent of our sin and we turn to Him. I got a question for you. Have you accepted that covenant of salvation? Have you entered into that holy covenant? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Check this out. If we are not clear on how God does covenant in marriage, if that is confusing to us, and if we cannot accept that, I'm going to suggest to you, you're going to be also unclear on how God chooses to do covenant with us through salvation. It is not no irony that people who accept same-sex marriage and all kinds of other definition of marriages also, by and large, accept what we call universalism, this idea that it doesn't matter what you believe, God loves everybody, and everyone's going to heaven. There is no hell. A loving God would never send anybody there. Can you see how when we're confused on one covenant, we're confused on the other? Because we have a really hard time accepting that there is a holy God who has the right to draw a boundary around a covenant. And he gets to say who's in and who's not. He gets to say, this is the covenant. It's what it looks like. And if you want to be a part of my bride, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, he gets to define the covenant. He gets to define the covenant of salvation. He gets to define the covenant of marriage. And our marriages, according to God, are supposed to point people toward that coming relationship with Jesus when he comes for his church, the promised Messiah. It's very theological. This stuff matters. I hope you're beginning to see, like, wow, this this is deep. Maybe marriage is about so much more than just politics. It is. It comes from God. It's defined by God. It's supported by God. And at the end of the day, it's all about God. So he gets to set the terms. 
So what I want to say is this. I just want to speak to those in the sound of my voice. I'm going to start with Christians, and then I'm going to speak to non-Christians. For those of you that claim to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may say, okay, John, so what? Like, where do I do with this? Great message. You got on stage. The air conditioner wasn't working, so you sweat a lot when you preach. That's great. Like, so what? I'll tell you, so what? So what is what I said a moment ago? To whatever degree your thinking is out of line with God's revealed word, your thinking needs to change. You need to repent of your sin. You need to confess it. You need to acknowledge before the Lord, I have been sympathetic to something that you have called evil. I have been willing to accept a redefinition or a complete throw-off of your definition. I've been willing to embrace that. I'm speaking to Christians. Romans 12, 2 tells us to no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds. Your thinking needs to change to align your thoughts with God's revealed will and his word. That's a next step for some of you in the sound of my voice. Accept what Christ has said. I want to speak to those here today that would say, you know what, John, when you're talking about that whole marriage covenant, supper of the lamb, wedding, supper of the lamb, I I don't think I'm in that. I think I'm lacking that relationship with Jesus. I just want to give you a moment in our services to bow your head and close your eyes and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior here in just a moment when I pray. Because I believe I'm speaking to some people that need to trust Jesus as their Savior this morning. How about you? I want to suggest another practical next step. I really want to challenge our church people. This series that we're in right now, God has put some stuff heavy in my heart, and this has been kind of sitting in what I call my sermon crock pot for a while. It's been cooking for a while. And I've got stuff over the next few weeks that I've just been dying to share with you for quite some time. And so I really want to challenge you, don't miss a Sunday of this series. If you're traveling, that's cool, whatever. But join us on our iCampus. Go back and watch it online. I believe God has some things he wants to say to our communities and to this church through this series. So make a commitment to be here and be a part of it. And finally, I would throw out this as a next step, just very practically kind of reaching back to the series we just ended last week and have spent several weeks talking about. What would it look like if you invited some of your friends to join you for this series and just tell them on the front side, hey, this is real stuff. You might hear stuff that's going to make you squirm in church. You may want to leave your kids in the nursery. But I'm telling you, there are so many in our culture that need to hear this stuff. So what would it look like if you invited some of your friends to be with us next week and let the word of God just speak to them wherever they're at? I want to challenge you with that. Finally, whatever else it may be that God is speaking to your life, the amazing thing about preaching is that even though I came to talk to you about marriage covenants and all of that, it could very well be that God is speaking to you about something entirely different. And whatever that is, I want to challenge you. Don't suppress that. Don't shake that. Don't throw that off. Submit to it. Yield to it. And go with it wherever Christ would lead you, whatever step he's calling you to take, submit to him and follow him. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer, and I want to challenge you to do whatever business with the Lord you need to do in your life today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for this opportunity that I've had to speak to your people today. I thank you for this opportunity to share your truth, and Lord, I recognize that this is, it doesn't have to be heavy and complicated, but because of our sin because of the mess we've created in our world and in our culture and in our lives, Lord, because of us. It's a heavy topic. And it hits us 
on so many levels. And so, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would do whatever ministering work you need to do, whether it's comforting, whether it's convicting, Lord, whether it's leading someone to that point of decision of salvation, that you would just have your way in the hearts and the lives of those listening this weekend. I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice right now, Lord, who is not yet a part of your bride. They're not a member of your church. I'm not talking about a member of the rescue church. I'm talking about they are not a part of the covenant of salvation because they've never repented of their sin and invited Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. I pray that right now they would be calling upon your name for the gift of eternal life, that they would be turning from their sin and calling upon you, Jesus. Father, I pray for the Christians in the sound of my voice in this quiet moment, those who feel angry, who are sitting there feeling defensive or feeling like they need to argue with this. God, I pray you just silence their heart. I'm talking to Christians, those that claim that you are the Lord and Savior and authority of their life. God, your word has been clearly revealed here this morning. You have spoken. And I pray now that we would make the only logical, the best decision, and that's to submit to your thinking and to submit to your plan. And forgive us for the areas in our minds, our hearts, our lives where we haven't. God, I pray you'd bring many people back next week to hear more of what you have to say to this subject. And I pray you'd just comfort the hearts and lives of those that are really struggling right now. Lord, you know who they are. And I pray you do amazing things in and through this series. God, we love you. It's in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.